Hey, Sam. Hey, how's it going? Well, you know, I've bitched incessantly about the weather yep. lately, and now we have a ton more. Seriously, like, when I'm complaining about the snow, I'm not, like, for all of you guys, like, there is a lot of snow. Yeah, and it's like anytime it melts, then we get another six inches of snow. I took pictures out of my land this weekend of the mud. I literally sunk in my truck in three feet of mud. Do you know what you do when you sink in mud and you get stuck in mud? What? You just pray. Oh. Well. There's no, I, I mean, I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> this is, it is going to be like the worst. Well, it's going to be like 75 next week. So that's going to be really fun for flooding. I literally have six foot drifts of, of ice. It's not snow, it's ice. Yeah. Because it's gotten warm and then refroze and then snowed on top of it and then gotten warm and then refroze. It is a mess. It's a mess. And then we wake up and now we've got another stinking foot of it. Never ending. I'm so tired of hearing we need the moisture. Like the ground is suffocating y'all. Seriously <laughs> though. What are we talking about today? So today uh, I kind of want to touch base on two very not like notorious government sieges and Ooh. standoffs that happened followed by an act of terrorism that resulted from these two acts. Oh my gosh. Okay, are we going to talk conspiracy theories? Is that what I mean, we're we, doing? We could. I mean, <laughs> I'll let you guys be the judge of that at the okay. end of this. After okay. We, after I'm we here for it. Everything. I'm here for it. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is the suspended sentence. Let's go. All right. So we are first going to start off on February, uh, February, August 21st of 1992. In what? The... what? February, August. <laughs> when? When are we? Uh, <laughs> Friday, August 21st. Okay. Woo! <laughs> Goodness gracious. I'm just we're starting joking. we're starting out really strong. We are. Alright, so let's try this again. Okay. Friday, August 21st, 1992, in the mountaintops of Idaho, um, there's a swarm of federal agents that surround a special forces uh, veteran and his family. Units within the ATF, the U.S. Marshals, and the FBI move in and launch a tactical assault leading to a 10-day fight between the family and the United States government. All taking place at the foothills of Ruby Ridge. Oh, so we're going to start Ridge. out with Ruby Ridge. Okay. So how did we end up here? In 1968, 20-year-old Randy Weaver enlisted in the United States military during the Vietnam War. By the summer of 1970, Randy returned to his hometown where he would meet his future wife, Vicki, while Randy is on leave. The couple would marry just a month after Randy is honorably discharged from the, from the Army. Okay. From here, Randy begins college, but only stays for a short amount of time before leaving and getting a job at the local John Deere factory, where he would make a fairly good living to support his new family. But around this time, the couple would begin um, begin to grow more into the fundamentalist beliefs, believing that the end of times were among them. Okay. <clears throat> After learning more about the end of times they believed to be coming, Vicki began to have visions of her family surviving a post-apocalyptic world. The couple decides to pack up and purchase a 20-acre property in the mountains of Idaho and move their family there to live off the grid and separate themselves from a corrupt and dangerous world. They begin homeschooling their son and their three daughters. They de um, devote themselves 100% to their beliefs and they stop paying taxes to the government that they don't trust. Hmm. By 1988, Randy is trying to gain influences so that he can spread his word and decides to run for sheriff. Okay. After speaking with those in the community, he realizes that just 15 minutes from the 15 miles from the cabin that they lived at, there was an Aryan Nation church, which is terrifying. Really? That there's an Aryan Nation church, just yeah. a church of nice white racist assholes. Like that's cool. Oh, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Aryan Nation. So that's like the white supremacy, like oh Jesus, KKK okay. or Aryan oh, fantastic. brothers. fantastic. So Jesus. an Aryan brother church. Which sounds absolutely terrifying to me. Yeah. I'm not trying to like laugh at that, but like the idea of that is just crazy to me. Like that people that breed so much hate and under the name of God. Under the name of God or like right. come to our church. Come to our church where we yeah, teach you to hate people instead of being like Christ. Yeah. Well, so Randy starts going to this church. But not as a member. He doesn't buy into their message, but he continues to go 
to the compound because many of the members there were doomsday preppers and also hated the government as him. And he said, well, they, they're potential voters. Okay. okay. See with that information as you will. So the leader of this compound was Richard Butler, who would hold a session every summer where their one goal was to rage war against the government. Ooh. Word got out about this to the ATF, and they were dispatched um, and dispatched an informant to infiltrate the compound. The informant would then approach Randy Weaver and tell him that he wants to move to the area but was struggling financially and looking for money. By the time by the time this conversation was over, Randy had agreed to saw off some shotguns for the informant, and he showed the informant showed Randy exactly where he would like them sawed off. After that one conversation with an ATF agent, Randy is now on government watch list and has now committed a federal offense. Yeah. In January of 1991, the ATF confronts Andy, Randy, and told him the crimes that he had committed and gave him two options. He could either become an informant for the ATF or he could suffer his consequences in jail. He refuses and puts up their home as po to post bail. So he's arrested for... His for home this. that he isn't paying taxes on. Correct. So he's issued a court date of February 19th, but the court date was changed to February 20th. In a letter that was sent to Randy, a pre-trial staffer made a clerical error and wrote March 20th on the form that Randy received. As a result of this error, Randy did not show up to court and a warrant was a place for Randy's arrest. Oh, no. This was a federal case, so U.S. Marshal was sent to make this arrest and gave him the option of com coming to court March 20th, realizing that the, this was a mistake. He didn't yeah. know. But unknown to the marshals, on March 14th, a grand jury indictment was, pla uh, was placed for, a um, for failure to appear, and his arrest was signed off on by a judge. Over a clerical error. Over a clerical error. Okay. <clears throat> so due to being told different things by different offices of the government, he did not believe that he was going to get a fair trial. He was like, I don't trust anything any of you are saying. Yeah. You're all telling me something different. I don't blame him. I don't either. So the Weaver family in March bunkered down in their cabin and refused to leave. Yeah. They're like, if we leave, we're going to get arrested. We're not leaving. Right. As the days turned to weeks and the weeks turned to months, the U.S. Marshals became very impatient with waiting for Randy to leave to make his arrest. They determined that he was a dangerous ex-Special Forces officer with a booby-trapped house and, according to the U.S. government, quote, a psychotic wife who sees visions from God. In August of 1992, the media gets wind of the story and a federal judge orders the arrest for agents to go in and just get him. They're like, stop waiting for him. Get in there and get it. On August 21st, two six-man teams of marshal agents wearing camo approach the land owned by the Weavers when they are spotted by the family dog striker. 14-year-old Sammy Weaver and family friend Kevin Harris rush towards the dog to see what he's barking at. Stryker was then shot and killed by U.S. Marshals. Sammy, thinking strangers just killed his dog, fired towards them. I want to take a minute here because I can get this part. In Wyoming, if people come on your land, it is not uncommon for people to shoot at you. Nope. And if I'm walking out with my dogs and I don't see anybody and all of a sudden my dog is just shot in the head, I'm, I'm firing yep. back. So yep. I see why Sammy did this. Yes. Well, and, and we've done it. We've shot at people. I mean, like, you don't step on people's property. You, you don't, don't know people's do intentions. That. You don't yeah. know what's going on. And they haven't heard from marshals or anything. They've been at their house. Nobody has approached them in mm -hmm. months. They don't know that it's them. Right. You have a, maybe a suspicion, but you, but don't, you don't know, know. That that's who it and, is. And the dog is dead. Somebody obviously is, like, yeah. out there. So Sammy shoots back, causing a shootout. There's 20, over 20 rounds that are exchanged, killing an agent as well as Sammy. Oh, so Sammy... Is 14. And he, sh and he hit, he hit an agent? Yeah. And he was, he was killed as well. So this oh, gunfight no. was reported back to... He was 14? 14. Oh, no. This gunfight was reported back to headquarters, reporting the death of the agent, but no word was reported on the death of Sammy. So they were like, we've got an agent down, but no word that any civilian casualties had happened. Because an agent was killed, this was turned over to the FBI, who then took over, under the impression that they were in a stale gunfight. They were instructed to kill any armed adult on site. August Whoa. 22nd. Yeah. This gets, this gets wild. August, they fired first. But that's not conveyed. They're just told that they that, had an agent dead and gunfight occurred. 
Okay. They don't even know. The FBI, the FBI doesn't even know that Sammy was killed. Or that they fired first. Right. At, killed their dog. Right. Okay. August 22nd, Randy and Kevin were t- uh, walking to the shed where Sammy was to visit his body when a shot rang out and Randy was shot in the shoulder by a sniper. The men ran into the cabin and Vicky stepped out to see what was going on. Vicky, while holding her 10-month-old infant, was shot in the head. Oh my god. The Weavers did not even have a telephone or a TV, so they had no idea who was on their land shooting at them until a robot messenger from the FBI announced that it was them after the deaths of Sammy and Vicky. Oh my god, while she's holding a baby. Their 10-month baby. The feds then surround the cabin, and it is during this time that they discover Sammy's death for the first time, since it had never been reported from the U.S. Marshals. Word got out to the media about Sammy's death, and the community was outraged, demanding to know what was really happening out there. Protests along the line, uh, along the road then ensued. Through a blowhorn, the FBI demands starts demanding Vicky and Randy, Randy to surrender. Yes, again, their leaders were not briefed of yet another death. Vicky's dead. Vicky's dead. They're standing outside with blowhorns saying, Vicky and Randy, come on out. Asking for Vicky only infuriated Randy because he now is thinking that the FBI is just taunting, taunting him, him and mocking him. Yep. 400 FBI were outside the house and labeled at Camp Vicky where they would, oh they my told God. her they were waiting for her to come out and they would have blueberry pancakes waiting for her. James Grips, who served with Randy, volunteered to go in and speak with him. He was like, I served with this guy. I'll go in. Let me, let me just try to talk to him. He's in disbelief when he enters the cabin to realize that Vicky is dead and returns out of the cabin with the body bag. The FBI said that they were stunned that they had not been aware by the, by the sniper that, their, that Vicky had died. Ten days in the standoff, the remaining people in the cabin decided to exit with James. Randy was immediately taken into custody and charged with ten crimes, including the death of the agents um, during the shootout with Sammy. Fourteen months later, his trial would begin. April 14th, 1993, it begins in federal courthouse. By July 8th, Randy was acquitted of all charges except his failure to appear. Except his failure to appear that he didn't know that he had to appear because somebody made a clerical error at the district court office. Right, but the deaths of all the agents and stuff, acquitted. In 1995, the U.S. government awarded Randy $100,000 and his three remaining daughters a million dollars each for the death of Sammy and Vicky. Kevin Harris was also awarded $380,000 for the mishandling of the case. Why did the kids get more than he did? I don't know. In 1997, indicted uh, the, the local courthouse indicted the FBI sniper on a manslaughter charge for Vicky. It was sent to the federal courthouse where it was later dismissed. Whew. Randy lived until May 11th of 2022. And I've seen some interviews with him. Like, he's like, I want you to remember Vicky because she was just walking outside. She didn't do anything. And she was holding her infant. She did nothing. So that's a strong start here. That's like a brief synopsis of what happened that day or those 10 days. But we can see... We've got some serious breaks in communication here. We've got like more than the marshals, more than the communication errors. If the marshals don't communicate that, with the feds, and the feds don't communicate with their snipers, and the snipers don't report her back, like none of that needed to happen. And the court clerical offices don't report. Oh my gosh! Which absolutely fed into this man's belief that the government. Not was to out to get absolutely they that I shouldn't step out of my house or they're going to kill me or Whoa. I'm not gonna get a fair trial. Whoa. Whoa. So that's Ruby Ridge. From here we go to 1993. So just a year after. And all what of was this the happens. public response to that? Mad. So this starts a frenzy of the government is waging a war on our guns. The government is way overstepping. Yeah. So abusing their power. So society is like mad. They're like, yeah, what the hell is happening? These are our rights that you're infringing on. Right. Our government who works and gets paid for us to represent and serve us. How dare you? Right. Right. So just a year after all of this happens in 1993, the United States government serves a search warrant for machine guns against religious leader David Koresh. 
but would follow would be the largest gun gunfight on American soil since the Civil War, and mm. a fifty-one day standoff that would become the biggest news around the world. How long after? A year. A year later, before people really have even gotten over that, have even not like, gotten over it, it, but like, it's like still fresh in our minds. Right. Like we're still we're still mad talking about it at the coffee shop with the group of old men. That yeah. Yep. So I want to start this off with some quotes from some of the survivors from the Waco siege. One quote says, it was, a, it was a bunch of people who really loved each other. It was a very loving environment. Another quote, David was our Christ giving us the truth from God. I've never seen anyone so dedicated to God 24-7. It was a man reading me the Bible and explaining it to me. I loved him as a brother. So how did we get here? How did we get to a gunfight over a search warrant, 51-day standoff? How did this happen? David Koresh was a religious leader who believed that the end of times were near. His church um, was a branch of was the branch Davidians, and it was an offspring of the Seventh-day Adventist church. They started being, being watched by ATF agents when they got wind that they had been stockpiling weapons and hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition, including machine guns and grenades. The compound believed that they, uh, the compound believed that they would have a fight with the United States government and that this would be the signs of the end of times. They'd been saying this for years. That's mm -hmm. why they said they were stockpiling all these weapons mm -hmm. because they knew the war was coming. And when this war happened, that would be the end of times. But the issue was that they were converting guns to automatic weapons, which is illegal. Right. They were also making li live um, hand grenades, which is violating a ton of gun Yeah, gun which laws. is a little scary. A UPS driver had a grenade fall out of a broken package, which was then reported to the local sheriff, at which time ATF was asked to come in. Bill Bufford, who was an agent who was a part of the original team of ATF to make contact with the compound, stated that... His original plan was they wanted the element of surprise. They were going to pull up, serve their warrant, um, but they didn't want anybody spooked knowing that they were coming and being able to arm themselves. ATF sets up at a house across the road from the compound so that they can plan out the best time to approach. On the morning of February 28th, 1993, they were set to complete this warrant. The newscast gets wind that there's going to be a raid at Mount Carmel and they are heading towards the compound to get it on tape. They're like, this is big news. Like, what's going on? Yeah. We're heading out. On the way out, cameraman get, one of the cameramen gets lost and can't find Mount Carmel and sees a mailman and stops to ask him for directions. During this encounter, the cameraman lets it slip that there's about to be a raid and that he needs to be out there. The mailman was a member of the Branch Davidians. Oh, no. David Jones, the mailman, then drove to the compound and told, Robert, or told David that they were coming. Mm -hmm. Robert Rodriguez was an undercover ATF officer that they had put to infiltrate the compound to mm -hmm. see what was going on. He was sitting at the table with David reading the Bible when this when when the mailman ran in. Robert then got up to leave and he said that he was worried he was going to be shot in the back on his way out to his truck to go let his team know that they had caught on to him. ATF then but he wasn't he made it over there. He was like, "Hey, so they know we're coming like heads up." Right. The ATF said, "Load up. We have to go now." Bill said he told them that we have lost the element of surprise and that we needed to wait, but he was directed to get in the truck and go anyways. Inside the house, the Davidians hear the police in two large trucks coming down the drive, um, as, and so they begin to pass out weapons. Survivors say that David instructed them not to do anything stupid and that he was going to go out and try to talk to them. Fifty armed men that were agents of the ATF unload from these trucks and David comes out and says get off my get off my property and shuts the door guns begin firing the ATF said it was the Davidians that shoot first the Davidians swear it was the ATF but either way a war zone starts oh my gosh so I want to play this clip because I was listening to a ton of different like documentaries and YouTube videos on this and I want to start out there's gonna be like three different clips that we play throughout here but I want to start out with this one loud. I was nine. I remember one of David Koresh's wives come running in the room. She had a gun. When she got to the window, she went to open the curtain with the rifle. And then all of a sudden she flew back. 
right beside me. So I watched her get shot. I just remember her scream. I can't forget. This was right outside my room. The next event was a bullet coming in my window. We're being shot at. And I'm just protecting my kids. I did not want my children killed. Wow. So the first woman speaking in that is the granddaughter of the mailman. She was nine. And when it happened, when it happened, so she was nine the morning that this happened, nine years old. Imagine and how scary. That. Oh my gosh. And she remembers <laughs> a lot, a lot. Oh yeah. So the news reporter calls the news station and they say that they call the, they say you need to call the police and you need to get every ambulance in the county out here. It is reported back that every ambulance is already there. So it's already starting. So we start getting these 911 calls though that come through to from inside the from inside the compound. The first one I mean, just rapid fire, rapid fire. Then we get another police call from inside. trying to communicate the communication he's tr they're like to me it's hard because you don't know we don't know who who shot first we don't know if it started from the inside the outside it could be the action of one man on either side that started at all but it seems like to me from these clips they didn't know what was happening inside and we don't have obviously the atf knew what they were getting into they weren't going to be calling that one saying Tell them to stop, you know? They're, so we don't know what their side was thinking in that, but we do know that side. Mm -hmm. So the police and ATF begin negotiation to get their wounded agents out because both sides had lots of wounded, obviously. We, you heard, you can hear the gunfire. It's rapid fire. And so they're like, we need to get our agents out. We've got men dying, like negotiate with them to stop fire the davidians agree they're like is how how do they negotiate through these 911 calls okay they say they call in and they're like we've got wounded out here and he's like as long as you guys stop shooting us we'll stop shooting at you like we'll call a ceasefire but stop and so they say that everyone was very on edge like these men had just been pinned down for like 40 minutes during this gunfire the people inside don't trust what's going on. They don't, no. you know, each person, each party is thinking the other one just started war with each other. So as the men are going and getting, picking up their wounded, they're still outside the windows with their guns. Nobody's firing, but they're still on edge. So Bob Ricks with the FBI is called in after the gunfight, reporting, after reporting four federal Four dead federal agents that had been shot in, in Waco. Along with him, snipers who are brought in as a last effort. Communication between the FBI and David is established. And they ask him right away what he wants for the women and children to be leased. And he says he wants a media presence. He wants to play he wants what? a media presence. He wants a message played from him 
and each time it is played played over the radio he will release two children to the fbi so the parents give a lot of pushback to this because those inside the compound believe that the government is the devil and they're concerned about releasing their children to the devil so they're like i don't trust these people with my children like i don't want to do that but david's like this is he believes that that is his job from God is to spread his message. And he's like, so we'll get him back, but we got I don't understand why it's being treated like a hostage situation, though. Like, David Crush, and I think that he's a vile human being, just on the record. Like, mm-hmm. I do. I think that he's a vile human being. However, I mean, he was super important to these people, right? But why are they treating it like a hostage situation? He didn't... He didn't force these people to stay. Oh, you'll get it. You'll, it gets even better. It gets even better on that. 20 people are released to the government in the first two days of the, after the shoot-off. Which is not a lot. 20 people in two days. 10 a okay. day. Of people that didn't want to leave, though, that he's sending out. He's like, mm-hmm. sure, we'll, we'll that's work important. with you that's, on that. That's my point there. I mean, that didn't want to leave. Right. So, David says that he and all of his followers will come out if he can get a 58-minute broadcast that is natural, nationally sent out. Everything is lined up. The government agrees to this, and he is set up. They play it. Goes nationwide on Christian radio. Everyone is set to leave, and they are all saying goodbye to Davis. When all of a sudden, David begins praying and says he has a sign from God that he needs to wait. There's a quote where one of the interrogators asks him, "Do you put your trust in the Lord?" And David responded, "I am the Lord." Oof. After being told that God had told him to wait, nobody else leaves the compound. March 2nd, FBI secures the garage in the back of the Davidians' property and enter with their military vehicles. But this is not communicated to the negotiators. Here we go with the miscommunication again. And negotiators are breaking trust with the Davidians because they're, the Davidians start calling in. They're like, hey, why are your men moving in on our compound? This is not what we agreed to. And they're like, nobody's on your compound. He's like, I'm looking at him. And the negotiators are like, hang on, let me try to get a hold of him. And they're like, we did move a, we did move a tactical team. And he's like, you've got to communicate with that to me. Like, now I look like I can't be trusted. Right. Like, we got to work together here. So hostage recovery team is sent in. And negotiators start being at odds with each other with the hostage recovery team because they want it done now. So hostage recovery... I think this kind of shows like the difference in styles between groups. So hostage recovery, they want to get things done quick. They're in there to help people get out alive. Like that's, it's a quick job. Negotiators are more calm down the situation. Slow and steady wins the race. So you've got two completely different speeds of humans, both having different poles in this, right? Well, and different and different techniques in in their approach to it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and people with territory, specifically in this field, which is a hundred percent mental health field. I mean, not there aren't really <laughs> two therapists who who have the same techniques that work the exact same way, and very very territorial, right. very territorial. Yeah. Well, and the they even refer to themselves. They say that the FBI and ATF is very much brother and like brothers they butt heads all the time but have each other six. six yeah so this kind of turns into bad cop good cop situation of well i mean if they're not going to do what we're asking them to do, at least like well those are the bad cops like we're the good guys like turn them against them then jesus so march 4th family starts to arrive in waco of those that are in the compound some mothers are seeing this on tv that their 20 year old children are in there and they go to speak with the FBI and ask, like, can I call my children? I Let me talk to them. Let me try to reason with them. Let me, like, try to get them to come out. The FBI says no. So the mothers, like, three different mothers went to the media and were like, let me try to talk to my child. They don't even know I'm here. Like, let me try to talk to them. The, the Fed, FBI says no again. So the main goal in March is to just get the children out. For many of them, this would be the last time that they would ever see their parents. <sighs> so far, 21 children and two women have been released from the Branch Davidians compound. 
On accounts of some of these children that, that had been released, upon arriving the feds, uh, with the feds, they say that they remember their belongings being gone through and the grown men laughing at them for the things that they had brought with them. Laughing at how they were dressing, laughing at the stupid Bibles that they brought. They were laughing. Laughing at these children. According to the FBI, the children were re treated with the utmost respect. But these children that are now adults are like, I remember feeling so scared because I thought I was supposed to be safe. And now these men are laughing at me and making uh. fun of me. So we're still at a standoff and the stand, the hostage group starts to move in. The next morning, uh, the next move is recording the children alone and sad and sending it to the children's mother inside the compound and calling them to tell them that their children need them. This did get movement from the mothers, obviously. obviously. But <coughs> as soon as they left the compound, they would be arrested. Once again, causing more mistrust. So, arrested for what? Killing officers, engaging in gunfight. Just arrested because they arrested. didn't. Okay. March 11th, David's mother hires attorney Dick DeQuerin out of Houston. The FBI does allow him to speak with David, who he says sounded very reasonable, wanted this to be over, said that David seemed like a rational human being. <laughs> Can I just insert here? Give I don't, it to me. I don't think that it's very rational under these circumstances for him to be working his freaking agenda. Let me get my message because he's saying, I am the Lord. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying is, you know, let me call everybody to repentance or give this spiritual message while people's lives are on the line and there's gunfire going off. That doesn't seem rational and sane to me no but they also like we said at the very beginning had for years been thinking that this was going to happen i understand so to that, them they're when, like this is the end of times here we are we're at the end of times i understand however i i don't think that it i don't think any of it is sane i don't think that he was sane and i think that that's kind of like a i don't know yeah. oh he seemed very logical and and sane <clears throat> as he's in a 51 day standoff gunfight with hundreds of innocent women and children's lives on the line, and he wants to talk about I, whatever. I don't <laughs> think that that's very sane, but just my inter just my opinion. I I can't hear you. So March twenty first, more Davidians are set to leave the compound after speaking with his attorney. This is about to um, about to happen as the hostage team takes their mi mi oh my gosh I can't say words today their military vehicles and start driving over the Davidians' cars outside the compound. In response, David calls the FBI and says, "You have no power and you cannot control your, your commanders cannot control your your teams." It's true. I mean, obviously this was not ordered. Just a bunch of these hostage guys <laughs> are like, "Screw these guys! I'll show them. I'm going to drive over their collectible vehicles outside." In my military tank. Over a sawed-off shotgun. I mean, really, that's what this is about, right? No, this one's over changing them to automatic weapons and grenades. Okay. <laughs> Hostage teams uh, say the FBI is taking too long, and they're, they're not moving fast enough for them. So on March 21st, they begin blasting songs like Boots Are Made For Walk-In, and a call off the hook blared through speakers at the compound. What? Mm-hmm. That sounds professional. Seriously? Yep. Yep. <laughs> March 29th. So this goes on for days. They just constantly just blare. Pig noises, phones off the hook, boots are made for walking. The cops towards... To the compound, yeah. To make them... He said that they were... They did it so loud that they said that it was like... I mean... Okay, so it's so a, they were doing that. But it's we, a form of torture that you use, like, like. Oh, it's psychological for sure. But, but they do, but they do shit like that. But then they want us to think that they treated the children who were released with the utmost respect. Correct. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm buying it. Right. So Definitely. that goes on for a few days. March 29th, FBI um, lets David's attorney go to the compound to see him. They say, "Would you like a bulletproof right. <clears throat> vest? Would you like a helmet? Like." Would you like these things? And his attorney said, I'm not scared to go into that compound. I'm scared that I'm going to walk in and one of your snipers is trying to shoot me in the back. Right. He's like, I'm not scared of those people in there. I'm scared of you guys right now. He's like, walking in, he was like the entire front. He's like, I went up to the door to knock and the entire front was just full of holes. He's like, it was... Oh, man. Wild. 
So David tells his attorney that God told him that he needs to write his interpretation of revelations before he's able to come out with his followers. After he's done with this, he says, that's all I gotta do. Then I'm good, let's go. April 19th, a little before 6 a.m., tanks hit the building and over the speaker, they announced that everyone is under arrest. They begin entering tear gas into the building. They entered 48 hours worth of tear gas into the building that morning. So they're like, it's supposed to be like a continuous spurt, you know? No, they just like bombed it all in there. 48 hours worth of tear gas into the building. So as soon as the tear gas starts, shooting begins. Once again, we don't know who started the shooting, but shooting begins. So some Davidians enter the walk-in fridge to try and protect themselves from the gas. FBI says, we're done negotiating. Like, come out. That is what it is. We're entering all this tear gas. Pretty quickly after a fire outbreaks in the compound, but those who survived say that they were scared that they were going to be shot if they exited the building. They said, yeah. we don't believe that we can die standing behind our beliefs or we can walk out and get shot. We don't, we didn't believe that this was going to end fair for us. Those who survive also say no one inside started that fire. They said, we did not do this. Once again, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <clears throat> but the catch is the water had been turned off to the compound a week before. So they had no way of putting it out inside the compound because they were trying to push them out, turn off, cut off their supply. So water, on land that they owned on property that was theirs, right. cut off the water. So they had no way of putting it out. So with all that gas and everything, the building then explodes. Oh my God. With everybody in it. Nine <clears throat> people were able to exit the building and no fire trucks were sent out after the fire erupted. The children who had been removed remember having the news played for them as the fire outbroke and were told, look, your parents clearly did not love you. What? Who told them that? Someone in the federal building that was watching them. After the building is almost completely burned down, the fire trucks are dispatched. Responders said that there was, it was raining down paper and after, invest, after looking at pieces that had fallen, the paper was Bible pages. April 20th, President Clinton speaks to the nation standing behind the moves that the FBI and ATF made and calling those inside insane. But those in the House of Representatives in the Senate disagreed with that strongly and said that the U.S. government fumbled the ball any time it was touched. In total, at Waco, four ATF agents died as well as 82 Branch Davidians, including 28 children. Well, So you think we're done? <laughs> What happened? So we've got two horrible miscommunication of government and clearly like talk to each other between different groups in the government. And maybe we want to have like shit shows within the last three years. Maybe a little bit better and a little less crazy. A couple years later. No. April 19th, and that date shall, shall ring a bell because that is the day that the compound burned down, but two years later. April 19th, 1995, a rider truck parks in front of the Alfred P. Murdoch Federal Building. 9.02 a.m., the truck that had been filled with handmade explosives blows up, killing 168 people and injuring 850. This is better known as the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. Those responsible are Terry, Tim McVeigh and Terry Nichols. Tim and Terry, both were Army veterans, both had a strong hatred for the U.S. government. The McVeigh. government that they served and put their life on the line for. Yep. Tim McVeigh had been outside the compound of Waco selling anti-government stickers during the holdout. The reason the terrorist team gave for the bombing of the government building that killed 168 people, including 19 children, was retaliation for the, to the U.S. government for Ruby Ridge and Waco siege. McVeigh was arrested and sentenced to death and executed by lethal induction on June 11, 2001. And Nichols was arrested and sentenced to life in prison, in two, but in 2004 was retried and charged with 161 counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to 161 consecutive life terms. 
Give it to me. What do you think about all that? <laughs> Give me your thoughts and your feelings and your opinions. So I say this just about in every episode, right? I've said this so many times. The why matters. It doesn't justify the crimes. It doesn't make it doesn't make criminal activity um, less significant. But it matters. Oh my gosh, there's this was a lot, Samantha. This was a lot. Going back to Ruby Ridge. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Excuse my language. Seriously, what the fuck? Like that that was a massive power play by our government and by law enforcement officers. Massive power play. That was not needed. Well, and usually how that works out is when you are offering somebody the chance to be an informant for you, they're the little fish in the big bucket. You know, that they're like, they want to catch. They you want someone bigger. You want somebody bigger. You or, want you the, or you wouldn't be trying to make yeah, a deal. You want that leader of the Aryan church. You want, you know whoever they're after, which I'm assuming it was him because he had been planning all those like war on government things. And that's how he met him was through that church. So then why did it go to this extreme with somebody over you asking them to saw off a shotgun for him? Well, and I don't know, seriously, I don't know if there is a single American out here, seriously, who believes for one second or underestimates the power of our government. And if anybody did, COVID certainly showed us otherwise, did it not? I mean, I they don't... shut down the world. Yeah. In a day, shut down the world. So the power of our government is very, very real, right? And they say what to do and you do it or you're going to have your freedom taken away. And is there anything more precious than your freedom? No. I, I have so much. Each thing independently, like the Ruby Ridge one, I, not that he wasn't potentially a threat, but he was not, I don't think, in my head, and maybe I just don't have all the information, he wasn't a big enough threat to justify the response. No, and it wasn't like he had this huge following. It was his family and his buddy. Right. I, I just don't. I mean, we're talking six people. It It didn't justify it. That's undisputable, right? The Waco, Texas one, that one, I've actually, you've, you've told me this story before and I was actually on the other side. Mm -hmm. I was actually like, no, he's the one who did it. He's the one these deaths are on, on, you know, his head, blah, 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 blah. But then when you hear, when you hear all of it and you, and you do, and you dig deeper, it's like, mm, I don't know. Well, I, I, you know, I definitely have a different opinion now. <laughs> If they were there for him, for David, for David, why were they, why were they negotiate? I don't know. I don't understand the whole tactical approach to that at all. Like, I don't see the logic in it whatsoever. Well, and one of the snipers in one of the interviews said that when they were in the barn, David had been shot in the original gunshot or in the mm -hmm. gunfight. He had a stomach wound and a wound to his hand. And so he was pretty weak and, like, been shot with no medical attention for 51 days. And two weeks before everything happened. He was planning for the end of the world. You don't think that he has medical supplies and somebody there who knows what to do? Well, his attorney said that when he went in, it reeked of garlic. That they were putting garlic in bullet holes and using home remedies and stuff. That's their, that's their gig, though, right? Yeah. I mean, he stayed alive. He didn't die. He got shot twice and... And he was able enough to make it fifty one days. Make it fifty one more days, but, but I don't understand. I don't understand the the tactical approach whatsoever on that. Yeah. he's not going to hurt his own damn kids. Yeah, and most of those kids were his. Yeah. Well, the sniper said that like two weeks before everything was over, he was on watch and he was scanning all the windows with his rifle. And at what at middle of the night, he looked up at one of the windows and David was standing there staring back at him. And he's like, at that moment, he's like, I could have just made a judgment call and taken him out. He's like, it was 200 yards. He's like, I can hit a dime 300 yards away. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm a sharp shooter. Like, that's what I can do. He's like, 
would have gone to federal prison because I was out of turn and it wasn't a command. He's like, but I think about that I could have done that and gotten everybody out every day for the rest of his life. He's like, I could have just taken him out. And I'm like, I don't know, but like, if that's who you're after and that's who, I don't know that everybody would have came out though. I think that they would have seen that as another attack. But I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And regardless of, it's perception, right? In the heat of a moment, it's perception. And who knows who fired the first shot, but all anybody knows is there's a lot of bullets flying past me. That's, that's ridiculous. But I don't, I don't understand, and maybe I need to look into this more, or you do, or, or whatever, but why was none of the negotiation, hey, David, we just want you, so you come out. Yeah. Come and talk to us. I'll send, I'll send so-and-so, we'll back up, you come out the front door, we'll walk, you know, here, whatever, like, we just want to talk to you. Like, why are we negotiating hostages that aren't hostages? They're not mm-hmm. hostages. Nobody, nobody in any of the survivors, I haven't heard a single interview from a single person who said he was holding me there against my will. No, and a lot of the people that did survive were pissed that they weren't there at the end. Yes. They were like... So, the only reason I left is because my children, because I was manipulated to leave. Right, right. And then you go to the Oklahoma City bombing. I know. Ugh. Which that one, I mean, I hear what you're saying about the why, right? <clears throat> you have these men that were very passionate, who one of them was there at Waco, had seen it all happen, saw what was going on. It's heartbreaking because the people in Oklahoma at that federal building had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Nothing to do with it. They just wanted to hit the government where it was going to hurt. Yeah. And from that, 168 people and 19 children lost their lives. Right. Innocent people. How many died in total in these three cases? Do you know? Yeah. It's I mean, approximately. 253. 253 people who are innocent. Yeah. I None of the people who made these calls, none of these people who... Uh, it's horrific. Yeah. It's horrific. It just, I called, I did a lot of this research last night and I was so mad. It makes me mad on the sense of the emotional warfare on the mothers and children. Yeah. I mean, not to dismiss the, I mean, yeah, the emotions babies, of the baby, men too, because yeah. I mean, this affects, it affects everybody as a whole. Yeah, but nine-year-old babies are innocent. Right. Teasing and making fun of them because they dress funny. Yeah. Telling them that their moms life. and dads don't love them. Like, that's horrible. It's. And many, most of these kids, um, Miss Jones, who is the first woman that we heard in that audio, her grandfather, her grandmother, her mom, and her father, and her brother died in that compound. Mm-hmm. And she was told, they clearly don't love you. She's a grown woman now that's like... That remembers that. That remembers all yeah. of this. Now, you know somebody that was in Waco, don't you? I do, yeah. So when I was in Texas, I worked at a chiropractic office. And the sweetest woman started being a client with us and... She had a lot of burns on her chest and back and face. And the chiropractor one day asked, do you mind if I ask, like, what the, the scarring is from, the burn scars? And she said, yeah, I was at Waco. And Did she ever, did she ever talk about it? No. No. She still goes, I know there's a group of Branch Davidians that still practice where the compound originally was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I she goes to... She still Bible goes study there. and mm-hmm. I mean the people that survive still 100% believe like that group of people is the chosen ones that will come back and they will lead us to through the end of time well like, regardless of what they believe right because we believe very very strongly I believe and I advocate fiercely for this in autonomy mm-hmm. people have a right to to believe what they want to believe to do what they want to do as long as it doesn't hurt other people mm-hmm. and the perceived threat of of harm or the perceived threat of of whatever is not a real threat. Mm-hmm. And just because people believe something differently than you do, prepare for things in a different way than you do, does not necessarily make it wrong. Yeah. None of us would know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, and we all prepare, right? Yeah. 
Well, and one lady... You pay your bills a month in advance, or you, you know, have an extra roll of toilet paper, or you have... I mean, we all prepare in different ways and on different levels. Yeah. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make it... it yeah. Just because it's different doesn't mean that it's a threat. One woman that was released, one of the women that they had sent out as part of the negotiation, her name was Kathy, I can't remember last name off the top of my head, but her and her three children were sent out, and she's one that was agreed to go because of the videos and being told that they needed her and that her kids were sick and needed their mommy, and she was arrested. She interviewed, and Kathy was like, I was told that my my duty to God was to do A, B, C, and D. And I went out because my children needed me. And she's like, and I feel, she feels as though she's failed her God by not sticking it out. Mm. And she, I mean, to this day does interviews and is like, I, I, she's like, it's my right to practice my religion however I want. My it religion, is. she's like, if my religion says not to leave this compound... Then that's She's what like, you that's do. what I was supposed to do. She's and like, but I was have, forced out. And you have the autonomy to do that. This is America. She was like, so my, she's like, my rights to practice my religion were 100% infringed. infringed. Violated. Yeah. Infringed upon. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think though that after, after it started, that there was anything that the government could have done to make it better. Some some actions you do and you, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the clearly they, clearly they were wrong, and they they acknowledge that they're wrong, or they wouldn't have made the payouts in the Ruby Ridge. Yeah, right. Waco. That's <sighs> the thing, though. There's no actual like. Not enough people lived to for there to be payouts for them. Oh my god! Think about it that way. Well, that was an interesting, hard one, Sam. Good research. Good job. And good job tying things together. Yeah. I, I didn't realize they all tied together. Until you started researching it. Until you it, yeah. research it and you're like... Because I knew about Ruby Ridge. I knew about Waco. Didn't know that it was all tied to Oklahoma. Yeah, I don't know that many people do. Interesting. Well, thanks for bringing that. Thanks for being here. Tell us what your guys' thoughts are. Follow us on Instagram. Comment on, on the things that we post there. Email us. Um, let us know. Let us know what your thoughts are because this is interesting. I'd like to see what the vibe is of, of other people as well. Yeah. So thanks for your research. Thanks for, thanks for your time on that one, Sam. Of course. All right. Bye, guys. Be, stay safe.